0: Now that's a message the world needs to hear. He is mighty to save. I know some of your stories, and He had to be mighty to save to get you in the door. And you may not know all my story, but He had to be mighty to save to get me in the door. And now that we're in the door, now that we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible says of us that all that we used to be, All that we used to to be under is gone, and God has made us a new creation. Everything about us is new. I guess the best way to kind of understand it would be to think of it this way. That the family you used to belong to, that's the family of Satan we're all born under, is our old family. We've been adopted into a new family. We've been adopted into the family of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are royalty. Now we're trying to figure out how to live like royalty and not live like children of Satan anymore. And so we have been looking at different places in the Bible because whenever we have a question about spiritual matters, the place we always go that we can be absolutely confident in and that is absolutely defendable is God's Word. And we've been learning what it means to be salt and light because in our new identity, In our new created being, we are to be agents of salt and light. We're to pour on the salt and we're to turn on the light. Now over the last several weeks, we've talked about different aspects of this. We've talked about what it means to be salt of the earth. And we saw that as salt, we're agents of purity. We live at an ethical standard, at a higher value system than the world lives at. And they take notice that we're different. We don't do the same things. We don't fall into the same mode. We're agents of preservation. We preserve the presence of God, His image. We preserve the the presence of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That if we're living right, we're agents of flavor. We give people a good taste about who God is and what Christianity is all about. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. One of the ways that people taste and see the Lord is good is through watching our lives, or at least they should. We're agents of healing. Salt was one of the earliest antiseptics. They would put salt in a wound, and although it would sting, it would bring healing and prevent disease and bacteria. And so we are agents of healing. Now, we're also the light of the world, Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 13, says, You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean? Jesus says in this passage that we're supposed to be salt and light, not salt or light. See, we don't get to say, well, yeah, I like the salt stuff, I'm going to do that, but I'm not so comfortable with the light. Or I like the light stuff, but I'm not so comfortable with the salt. In our new created being, because we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we serve the purpose, the divine purpose of being salt and light. Now, some may ask the question, well, isn't Jesus just using two metaphors to teach the same principles? Well, the answer is yes and no. See, there is a distinction between salt and light. And if we understand that distinction, we can further understand our purpose in the world as believers. See, salt is hidden. Light is obvious. Salt works secretly. Light works openly. Now, unless somebody's playing a game on you and takes the salt shaker and takes the top off and just pours salt on your food, you don't really see salt. Salt blends in. It's a secret agent in the food that adds flavor to the food or that preserves the food. But it's not readily evident to the eye. On the other hand, come in a dark room and turn a flashlight on, no one's going to miss that. They're going to see the light. See, so salt As we serve as salt in the earth, salt works primarily through our living, the style, the standard of life that we live, the values that we embrace, the love that we extend, the forgiveness that we offer people, the sensitivity of They see how we live, and they're attracted to God. Light works primarily through what we profess, what we declare. It's a little bit more active. It involves a little bit more risk-taking. When it comes to the gospel, salt is the indirect influence of the gospel. People are attracted to Christianity by the way we live our lives, by the, the, the way that we conduct our marriages and our families and the ethical standards that we live on the job. They're attracted to They see that we're not like the rest of the world, cutting corners and cutting people and knifing them in the back and, and that our families are functioning at a, at a higher level, and a more productive level. And they're attracted to the gospel message because of us. Light is more the direct communication of the gospel. Now remember, we are to be salt and light. Now, what does it mean to be light? We've already talked about what it means to be salt. How do we serve the kingdom of Christ as light? I'm going to give you three kinds of light this morning real quickly that will help you to understand your purpose as light in the world. First, we're to be guiding lights. Where to be guiding lights. Look what Jesus said again in Matthew chapter 5. He said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, a city at nighttime can't be hidden because light is everywhere. It glows. If you're traveling across a dark desert or something like that, approaching a city, all of a sudden you'll see that light as a haze off in the distance. And as you grow closer, it'll grow brighter and brighter and brighter because you can't hide a city. That's why during times of war, especially in World War II, they would have blackouts. And they would have curtains, thick curtains over the light so the enemy couldn't see the city. But that's under extenuating circumstances. We are to let our light shine. It says, neither do a people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. We aren't to hide our light. We are to allow our light to glow and to be a guiding light to everyone in the house, everyone in our lives. Now, when I served in the Navy... One of my duty stations was a guided missile cruiser, the USS Josephus Daniels, out of Norfolk, Virginia. And when I served for three years on that ship, I really learned the importance that lights play in maritime navigation. Now, back when I served, GPS was a top secret thing. We didn't have it on the ships, and very few people, only the special forces had it. Uh, We didn't have it routinely. We still followed the way that mariners had traveled the seas for centuries. And I learned how important light was in that. You see a picture of a lighthouse, and lighthouses are beautiful. And and today, you could go to a lighthouse here in the area, in Fort Lauderdale. or Many people have lighthouse books on their coffee table. Or you can take a historical tour of lighthouses, and, and they're beautiful, and they're historically exciting. But listen, when you're out there on the dark water, it's a whole different story about a lighthouse. It's not just beautiful, it's not historical, it's life-saving. Oftentimes it warns you that you're getting too close to land and dangerous shore where you can wreck your ship and sink your ship. But I remember many times being on the bridge at night with the captain talking to the navigator of the ship. And he would say to the navigator, the navigator would say to him, Captain... In about 20 more minutes, we should begin to see the lighthouse at such and such point. And they would use it as a navigational aid, knowing that oftentimes lighthouses mark the entrance to a harbor. And when we were going to a foreign port, we would look for the lighthouse to direct us in the general direction of that harbor. Now, that only gets you so far. That keeps you off the rocky ground. It shows you where the safe channel is going to be, but then you've got to get into the channel. You just can't land anywhere on the shore or you're going to be in trouble. And so they've created a system of navigation using buoys. Now, in the daylight, you can see the buoys, and the buoys are painted green and they're painted red. When you're entering a harbor on a boat or a ship, you make sure that the green buoys are on your starboard side, your right side, and the red buoys are on your port side or the left side of the vessel. And as long as you keep between those and keep them on the right side, the correct side of the vessel, you can safely navigate the channel. Now, at night, you can't see the color of the buoys, so they attach lights that are green and red to the buoys so that you can navigate the channel at night. Now, Look what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now here is the tragic truth about mankind. The vast majority of the billions of men and women who will have lived in some point of history will perish and go into a Christless eternity. See, Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. You're already on that road. You're born on that road. Because we're born as sinners, alienated from God. He says, very few people will find that channel. Very few people will find the safety of that gate that leads to eternal life. One of the ways, and I might say the primary way, in our day that people find that channel is through believers, as we serve as guiding lights. See, assault salt, our lives for Christ at a higher standard, we can kind of retard moral decay, and, and we can be a flavor to life, But but the truth is, those things in and of themselves are not enough to illuminate the channel, illuminate the path to eternal life. See, people aren't going to find that channel. They're not going to find that narrow gate merely by watching the standard of life that we embrace. They need a guiding light. They need someone to guide them safely to arrival on eternity's shore. See, another element of maritime navigation goes beyond the lighthouse and the buoys. In this picture, you see a little boat coming alongside of a ship, and there's a guy getting out of the boat, and he's climbing up a Jacob's ladder onto a larger vessel. Now, I've seen this repeated countless times in my sailing experience in the Navy. This man is called a harbor pilot. And even though you have a lighthouse that shows where the entrance to the harbor is, and even though you've got the buoy system to show you exactly where the channel is, that's often not enough. And in most foreign ports, what will happen is the ship will come to a certain place towards the entrance of the harbor, and they'll send a pilot boat out with a harbor pilot. That pilot will get off the boat, climb up the side of the ship, go to the bridge of the ship, and the captain of that ship will turn over the navigational control and command of that ship to this pilot. Why? Because not only does the pilot know where the lighthouse is, not only does he know how to read the buoy system, he is an expert on this channel. He is an expert on all the dangerous nuances, the currents, the tides, dangerous spots, drift factors. And only he can safely navigate that ship through the channel. See, that's the role that we play as guiding lights. But it's not enough for people to know that that Christianity exists. It's not enough for people to know the story that Jesus died on the cross and allegedly rose from the dead. They need an expert to lead them through the channel that leads to eternal life. That narrow gate that few will find. Look what Romans ten thirteen and 14 says. It says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God has made it possible, and in fact, it is God's intention and passion that every man and every woman who ever lives will find that gate. Will find that channel. He's made provision for everyone to spend eternity with Him. But look what it goes on to say. But how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the name of the one they have not heard? They need a guiding light. They need a pilot. They need someone to come alongside their life and board their life with them through friendships and board their life through, 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 through unions at work and, and cooperation, sensitivity, and loving compassion. And to lovingly and sensitively, but honestly, lead them to that gate, to that channel that will lead them safely into eternity. The great tragedy in churches today, and it's a growing tragedy, is that more and more Christians, believers, are not equipping themselves to be guiding lights. Now, if you've been around Florida Bible for any time at all, this shouldn't be true of you. Towards the end of the service, usually, or at some point in the service, we offer a gospel invitation to men and women who have not yet Trust that Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've not yet narrow, entered that narrow gate, that narrow channel. And I typically will give that gospel presentation the same way every week. In fact, many of you set the end of the service by it. When I start talking about, and if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, right now, would you just pray something like this? Would you just pray, God? I confess to you my need of forgiveness. I need your forgiveness. I get it now, God. I cannot work my way to heaven. No matter how good of a person I am, it's not enough. That's why you sent Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and, and and if I'll just trust Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, then I can have my sins forgiven. Jesus can be my Savior. And as I was saying those things, you were rehearsing it right along with me. Now, I say it the same way over and over again for two reasons. Number one, so that those who have never heard that message before hear it in a clear, precise manner, in a manner in which they can act on it and trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin and have their eternal destiny instantly changed. But another reason I do it the same way over and over again is to equip you to be guiding lights. Because God may bring you to a position and intersect the life of someone who has never trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior, but who is tender towards doing exactly that. And in that moment, you need to be the one to be that harbor pilot and tell them how they can trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you're hearing it over and over and over again. And if you've been around here at all, it is in you. And if God gives you that opportunity, all you've got to do is flash back to that repetitious, mundane presentation of the gospel that Pastor Pete does every week at my church.
1: You're equipped. You
0: can do it. And there are people who are approaching the shoals and the rough, rocky ridges of a shoreline that needs somebody to guide him to the channel, and you're that somebody. God also wants us to be warning lights. There's a lot of different kind of warning lights in existence today. I chose the railroad crossing because it's kind of the one that catches our attention, those flashing lights as a railroad tra- uh, train is bearing down the tracks, coming to an intersection that is dangerous. Those lights flashing and the bells sounding. Jesus has positioned you and me as believers in Jesus Christ to be warning lights to people. Here's where the vast majority of the world lives. In Proverbs 14:12, that says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. This is so true of the society and the culture that we live in today, isn't it? We live in this postmodern culture, and postmodernism declares that there is no absolute standards. There's no absolute truth that there's no absolute belief system, that you know, one belief system is as valid and equal to another belief system, and one value system of life is is just as relevant as another value system of life, and everything's equal and nobody's got the answer, we're all working on it and we're all trying to go to the same place and we're on different highways to the same location. That's postmodernism, basically. The problem with postmodernism is that it's not true. There is an absolute standard. And it's God's standard. And it is that standard by which every man and woman will be judged. Not any man-made philosophy, not any man-made cultural system. It is what God has said about sin and eternity that is going to matter. And people need to be warned about that. Because the path they're on seems right. And if you think about postmodernism, it really seems logical. It seems sensitive. It seems compassionate. You know, why should I judge you? And why should you judge me? And why can't we all just get along? And and I'll live my life the way I want to live it. You live your life the way you want to live it. I'll believe what I want to believe. You believe what you want to believe. It sounds right, doesn't it? And if it wasn't for the fact that God has an absolute standard that people are going to be judged by, I'd buy into it in a minute. Because it is a nice way to live life. But since there is a standard... People need to be warned. They need to be warned about Satan's destructive desires. We we make fun of Satan and we, we make him cartoons, and at Halloween time we dress up like the devil in a little red costume with a pitchfork and little horns on it. See, we make light of this horrible, evil presence in our lives called Satan. In a recent Barna poll of evangelical Christians, people just like you and me, who did a poll for the Barna Research Group, the poll results demonstrated that increasingly over the last several years, the percentage of Christians has increased who now profess that there really isn't a Satan, that he's an, an analogy. There's not a real being named Satan. He is an analogy that the Bible presents as just someone who represents evil in the world. Listen, he's real. And he's real destructive. Jesus said this about him in John 10:10, 10, 10, "The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy." Satan's primary objective and his only strategy is to steal your joy, is to steal your good character, to steal your good name, to steal the the soundness of your marriage, to steal the vitality of your family, to steal your reputation in the workplace, to steal your testimony for Jesus Christ. That's his plan for you. He wants to kill And ultimately, he wants to destroy. See, hell was not made for mankind. Hell was made for Satan and a third of the angels of heaven who rebelled against God. But mankind will join that rebellion by rejecting Jesus Christ and fall under the same eternal penalty. And he'd be warned of sin's destructive consequences. Even believers, we are increasingly... Going the way of the world. Instead of trying to attract the world to a higher standard, we're increasingly compromising our values and compromising what, what the Bible says about sin. And, and we're saying, oh, it's not really that bad. and it's, I can do this and I can do that. I'm going to do a whole series here in about five weeks entitled Collide. When culture collides with family. And it's colliding every day. But we need to be reminded what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans 2, 8 and 9, But those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Look what it says. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. It's just the, the real conclusion to pursuing the wrong road in life. If we compromise with sin... We are going to hit the shore. We're going to hit the rocks. We're going to run aground. It's going to take us down. People need to be warned of judgment's destructive finale. We are going to stand in judgment. Increasingly, that same Barnapole said that increasingly now believers, evangelical Christians, are now increasingly embracing this false idea that there really is no hell. That either people go to heaven, or they go into eternal annihilation and unconsciousness for all eternity. But there is no real place called hell. There is no real judgment for life. But Jesus declared over and over again that there will be a judgment. And Jesus even told us how detailed that judgment is going to be. It says in Luke chapter 12 verse 2 and 3, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Jesus said nothing is going to be hidden. The stuff we think we got away with and nobody ever found out about, it's going to be revealed. Even the stuff that we whispered into the ear of somebody, maybe about somebody else, or something immoral, something enticing, that is going to come to light. It will be made known and shouted from the rooftops. That's how detailed it's going to be. Nothing is forgotten. Now, for those of us who are believers in Christ, we know that that is not going to keep us from God. We know because of God's grace and mercy, and we've trusted in Jesus Christ, that we have been forgiven from all those offenses. But we'll still stand in judgment for our eternal rewards, or loss thereof. But for those who don't find that narrow channel, it's much worse. The Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 15, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We don't want to talk about that in these days. We don't don't want to look at those kind of verses. We don't want to contemplate that kind of human devastation. But it's in God's Word. And people have got to be warned. Jesus has put us in this world and positioned us in our jobs, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our friendships to be warning lights. Now I know a lot of you right now, that is really an intimidating thought. And you're saying, I, I just can't do that, Pastor Pete. I, I, I just can't get in somebody's face. I can't get in their life. I, 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 can't, I can't call them to that level of accountability. I can't tell them those kind of things. I, it would just be too insensitive of me. It would be unloving of me. It would ruin our relationship. I know a lot of people feel that way. And I understand feeling that way too because it's an intimidating thing. But let's suppose that this is me in this picture of a man sleeping on the railroad tracks. And, and that's me. I've just kind of really got tired and walked past. And I just kind of laid down across the railroad tracks and put my head down. And I fell fast asleep. Now you came across the scene, and you saw me laying on the railroad tracks. And, and, and you know that at 5 o'clock every evening, a freight train comes roaring right through the spot I'm laying in. But you look down at me, and you say, ah, oh, look how comfortable Pastor Pete looks. He, he doesn't even he look peaceful. Uh, who am I to wake Pastor Pete up? Who am I to challenge him? Who who, who am I? It would be insensitive of me to wake him from his sleep. And yet you look down at your watch and the train comes at 5 o'clock and it is now 4.59. You can leave me on the track? You can let the freight train do what it does to people sleeping on the track? I know you aren't. I know there's not a man or a woman who would not do everything you could to wake me up. You'd be shaking me. You'd be throwing things at me. You'd be throwing water on me. Two or three or four of you that were strong enough might try to pull me off those tracks. You wouldn't let me die on those tracks. Well, listen. There's an eternal freight train bearing down on the majority of people that you know in this life. And for us to say, I don't want to offend them, Uh, Look how comfortable they are in their lifestyle. They seem to be getting along. They're coping. Are you kidding? They need a warning light. They need to know that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Now we do that lovingly. And we do it compassionately. And we do it as reflecting lights. Again, Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, wait a minute, that doesn't seem logical. What do you mean that they may see my good deeds and praise somebody else? I, I mean, shouldn't it be that if they see my good deeds, shouldn't that draw attention to me? And people say, oh, Pete Tokar, what a great guy he is. He's just so kind. He's so loving and forgiving and sensitive. And, and he's so talented. And, and look at all the good things he does for people. and all. Isn't that how it should work? That's not how it works in life of a believer. See, we do not draw attention to ourselves through being salt or being light, but we reflect the glory of God to people. And it's the glory of God that brings them safely home. 2 Corinthians 4 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, in other words, God who created light in the beginning made his light shine in our hearts. See, when we trust that Jesus Christ, God put the Holy Spirit inside us. And that light shines in us, the knowledge of Christ. Things that people don't understand about God and and people things that people don't understand about His Word, that lights, that's illuminated in us because God has put it in us. That's why when we doubt our salvation, you ever doubt your salvation? You ever say, gee, I wonder if I really am? Or I wonder if it really can be true? You ever do? All of us do. And in the seasons of my life that, that I've done that earlier on in my life, and even now, when, when, when I just say it here, that light just starts shining inside me. The Bible says, for the Holy Spirit who lives in us will bear witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And boy, I'll tell you, when I start getting those, or Satan tries to fill me with doubt, that Holy Spirit just lights up. And I know that I'm a child of the King. Not because of who I am or what I do, but because of what He has done for me. Now, because that's true, the Bible also says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. See, we are reflecting lights of who God really is. With unveiled faces, that's a reference back to Moses. When Moses went up to the mount to commune with God and to get the Ten Commandments, whenever he would go up and spend time with God and come back, his face would be glowing because he had been in the presence of the Shekinah glory of God, this glowing brilliant light form of God and it would wear off at him and he'd come back and when he'd come back the people were afraid to be around him because he was glowing with the Shekinah glory of God he was reflecting God's glory and so they would have him put a veil over his head so they didn't have to be exposed to that light and eventually that glory would wear off And he could take the veil off. But whenever he'd go up and come back again, the same thing would happen. He'd put the veil on so the people wouldn't be terrified in the presence of the glory of God. But today, God has made himself known through Jesus Christ, and everything has changed because of Jesus Christ. And today, we don't reflect with veils. We want that light to just be brilliant everywhere we go and to cast upon everyone that we encounter in life. Now, that will happen because God has empowered that to be true in your life. Verse goes on to say, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, when we embrace who we really are, who we have been created to be, when we begin to live like royalty and not like second-class citizens, when we begin to claim the power that God has put in us, not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of divine power, we begin to reflect God's glory with increasing power and increasing prevalence, increasing effectiveness. Because that's who we are. That's who God has made us to be. Who are we? We're light. We're guiding lights. We're harbor pilots. We need to be salt. People need need to be exposed to, to a higher life standard. But that's not enough that we just live the life we're supposed to live and be the people we're supposed to be. They need a harbor pilot. They need somebody to come alongside their boat that they're sailing and climb aboard through friendships. And then you say, here's the channel over here. There's the lighthouse. Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the channel. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. We need to be warning lights that if we reject that, there are extreme consequences. And we need to show people who God really is. They think he's cruel. They think he's vindictive. They think he's oppressive. They think he's mean and angry. But that's not who he is. We know that he is love. We know that he is all about forgiveness. We know that his mercy endures for all generations. We know that he's as close as the mention of his name. We know that he brings healing, that he brings hope that he brings life that he brings promise Florida Bible Church we need to be salt we need to be light we need to make a difference for the kingdom we we need to not play church we need to not be religious we need to be salt and light in a world that doesn't have a lot of time left let's bow our heads How about you? Will you be salt? Will you be light? You're already equipped to do it. You're already empowered to do it because you've been changed in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a question of can you. It's just a question of will you. Right now, you're a believer. Will you rededicate yourself to Christ? We say, God, make me light. Help me to be a guiding light. Help me to be a harbor pilot who comes along the side of many people and help them find the channel that leads to eternal forgiveness. It's narrow. Not many are going to find it. I want to help others to find it. Lord, make me salt. Make me light for your glory. Help me to pour on the salt. Help me to turn on the light. I surrender all to you. Let's sing that little chorus, I Surrender All.
1: I surrender a prayer.
0: communion this morning. Go ahead and begin to pass the elements. Communion, according to the Bible, is a ceremony of remembrance. There's nothing mystical about it. It's just an opportunity for the church to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. To remember that He literally gave His body on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And the cup reminds us that it is His blood and His blood alone that has established and created a new covenant with God. Not a covenant of legalism, not a covenant of slavery to a religious system, but a new covenant of love and freedom and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And let us as a church remember that as we receive communion this morning. But let us also be reminded that it's not just about what Jesus has done in the past for us, it's about what Jesus is continuing to do through us as we serve His kingdom as salt and light. Believers, let's get serious. Let's go all in for God. If this church goes all in for God, there is no end to what we can do and the impact we can make for the kingdom. I got to go in all in. You got to go all in. The man, the woman next to you has got to go all in. Front and back, we all got to go all in. And let God do the amazing things with us that only He can do. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You haven't entered into that channel, that narrow channel that leads to eternal life. Listen, it's not a mistake that you're here today. God has brought you here through some some person, through some means, through some need, through some trial. I don't know what it is, but God brought you here today to give you that eternal life, to forgive you of every sin that you've ever committed, and to give you the promise of eternal life with him. All you need to do to receive it is ask for it. The Bible says for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. You can't make it. You can't earn it. You can't live a good enough life to get it. If you could, Jesus never needed to come. But Jesus came because I can't, and you can't. We can never live a good enough life to go to heaven. So what you need to do is trust Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And how do we do that? Through simple faith. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's all he asks. Is that you quit trusting in yourself or anything else and just believe what Jesus already did is everything that needs to be done. If you've never done that, would you do it right now and just say, God, I confess my sin to you. And Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. The Bible says, everyone who believes on the name shall be saved. This is the extent that he was willing to go for you and me. For on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and he passed it to his disciples. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, Jesus took the cup and he passed it to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul added to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, I'm just so excited about the opportunity our church has right now. You know, we're we're living in hard times. And we can do one of two things. We can succumb to the hard times like a lot of people in the world are doing. Or we can use the hard times to be light and salt. We, we can have hope and faith and trust in God. And we can attract people to Him. Because people who are hurting look for God. People who are satisfied and happy and fat and sassy, they don't need God. But when things start getting tough, they start looking to God. They start looking for the lighthouse. And so we can be the Harbor Pilots now. And we can invite them to church. Next week I'm going to start a new series entitled Stories That Changed the World, the Parables of Jesus. Jesus taught eternally significant truths through the use of parables. And I'm going to take on five of them over the next five weeks. It's not all the parables, but I'm going to take five that I think had some of the most significant change on the destiny of mankind. Invite your friends to come with you. These are little invitation cards. They're available in the back. You can take a couple on your way out. They have the church times and a map and everything. Invite your friends. Say, hey, come on. And here's some stories that changed the world. Now, as we prepare to leave, there's several things that we're going to invite you to do. Now, we have an opportunity to a whole new group of people who are going to regularly be on our campus. Many of them didn't even know there was a church here. As they start coming to to Somerset Academy, there's going to be a meeting on our campus this year. Now, some of those people are the faculty and staff. We want to reach out and be salt and light to them and welcome them to our campus as a church. And so there's an opportunity for you to do this. We are going to put together some welcome packets that have cookies and brownies and all kinds of cool stuff in them that people like. And we need you to help us to get the materials to do that. After church, you can come up here to the front. And there's some sign-up lists, and there's some directions cards. Sessie's going to be up here, and I think some someone else is coming up to help her. And you can sign up. The Here's Rice Krispies if you want to make Rice Krispies treats, and here's muffins and cookies and brownies, my particular favorite. And there's direction cards that are going to be available. And we need you to bring them back to church with you next week so that... A group, and if you would like to volunteer to be part of the group that puts the baskets together, that's going to happen next Sunday. And Sissy can give you the information on that. And let's be salt and light. Let's welcome these new staff members onto our campus and show them that we love them. And let's reach out to them. That'd be great. So after services, you come down. Those of you who'd be willing to participate in that ministry, and sign up here in the front. Now, also, don't forget those of you who can stay. We need you to help us to. to pick up the chairs and stack the chairs and, and transition those. And so Eric will be here to help do that. Also, all of us, don't forget as you leave to give your tithes and your offerings to the Lord so that our ministry can continue to reach this community for Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been motivated to be the person God has created you to be. You're a lot more than you think you are, and God can do a lot more with you than you think he can. Be salt, be light. Let's all stand. Let's sing it. I Surrender All one more time.
1: I Surrender All.
0: on all you bakers come on up and help chair folks God bless you let's be salt and light have a great week